Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Uh, Would you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1? Because today we begin a journey together through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, first book of the New Testament, first chapter of the New Testament, page 757, I believe, if you're using one of the Bibles there behind the seats. For these three remaining Sundays in December, um, we're going to be spending our time together, and I would like a feel happening with our time. And the two side screens, the picture on the side screens kind of give that feel that I would like for us just to have here on these three Sundays when we come together. It's kind of that idea of here we are sitting by a fire, Christmas decor is around, the the sense of Christmas is around us, Bibles are open on our laps, and uh, we are going to reflect and rest and refuel in the gift of Christmas. Um, In fact, these uh, three Sundays, today is is reflecting on a royal lineage Next Sunday is going to be resting in a royal birth, and then the third Sunday of this month is going to be refueling in a royal plan, and that's uh, Matthew chapter 2. And then uh, beginning the first Sunday in uh, 2019, actually through June, we are going to be walking through the rest of the book of Matthew. And uh, so we're getting started today. That series, when we kind of turn the corner, I'm going to be calling uh, The Gospel Turns Lives uh, Upside Down and Inside Out. The Gospel Turns Lives. And uh, we'll be entering into that. But today, we're Matthew chapter 1, we're verses 1 through 17, reflect, reflecting on a royal lineage. There's too many R's in there, but reflecting on a royal lineage. When you look at the opening in Matthew, as you have here with your Bible open, (laughs) 99% of us are thinking, can we read verse 1 and fast pass it down to verse 17? Because you see here a genealogy list. And uh, so many are thinking, okay, this is my Christmas snooze time right now because we're going to go through this lineage list. And uh, uh, that's probably 99% of us. And yet I realize there's the 1% of you who are genealogy geeks. And I say that lovingly. (laughs) And you right now are like, a genealogy, I'm full in. And everyone else around you is almost full out. So I don't have to do anything to get you amped up. But I have a challenge on my hand with the other 99% of us. So uh, let me say it this way. If my grandma opened this and saw it, she would get geeked out. Grandma Soul, my mom's mom, she was a genealogy geek. And I remember as a boy sitting on her couch in her home, usually this time of the year, with my brothers and my cousins. And we would kind of sit there 
while she would elaborate about a whole host of things she learned in the last six or 12 months about ancestors. And it was like Charlie Brown for me. (laughs) She's talking wah, wah, wah. Oh, God love her. And she's riveted. And mine, I'm not riveted one bit. And yet, I do remember the moment when she said, hey, by the way, as I've been doing this research, she mentioned that there was a family member who came over on the Mayflower. I thought that was pretty cool. But then in about 10 nanoseconds, I was in the, if you've seen Finding Neverland, and the one boy being walked off the plank, that was my relative, probably, being walked off the plank of the Mayflower for not having a pirate name. And and so I'm there for a second and gone in that whole genealogy thing. And I just want for you to know my point in all this, I get the genealogy boredom. Please don't check out on me yet. Okay, don't check out on me yet. And let me try and give us some reason to pay attention here, okay? Two reasons. There is something profitable for us in this. And I say that because God's word says that. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. It means it's profitable. And by the way, that means even things that we read sometimes and we're like, wah, wah, wah. But there is a profitable thing in this for us. And just know that. And then we're going to dig that out. Uh, Secondly, if I could pull off of last Sunday, if you weren't here last Sunday, oh, you've got to go and listen to it last Sunday. Dr. Nacelli, we had speak, and he was talking, and he made that illustration, that tie from Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation 12 and 20, how Scripture really is kind of telling the story about the dragon slayer out of Revelation 12, and and the dragon slayer that came to kill the dragon and get the girl. If you were here last Sunday, remember that? Hey, so let me put it this way. Not only is this profitable for us, but what we're about to take a peek at, this is about the dragon slayer. Okay, this is about the dragon slayer that's going to kill the dragon and get the girl. Hopefully that pulls some others of you in. (laughs) All right, so it's profitable for us. It has to do with the dragon slayer. Allow me to read through this, uh, roughly read through this with all the names, and I kind of expect a little bit of a hand clapping or something by the time I get done. (laughs) I'll leave that in your hands, literally. Let me read this, and then I'll pray, and we'll, we'll get at it. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Here we go. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by wife Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the 
father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at, that time, at the time of the deportation of Babylon. Here's the bigger list of tough names. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel. You can see the footnote on that. And Salathiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. And Abiud, the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor. And Azor, the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliud. And Eliud, the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Mathen. Not Manhattan, but Mathen. And Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. (sighs) I'm sure my Hebrew teacher who is with the Lord uh, is fretting over hashing these Old Testament people. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Lord, I pray as we just spend a bit of time here with these words that we would see more of you and what you're up to. These words that really do, there are some nuggets in this for real. And this is telling us about the dragon slayer has come. And so God, show us more of you, your plan, your work, for your glory in Christ's name, amen. Verse one. Matthew gives an opening statement, Matthew's opening statement. The actual opening two words in the original language, I usually don't do this, but just listen to them, are biblos geneseos. Biblos geneseos. Uh, Biblos, it's a record, it's a book, it's an accounting of, it's a history of, it carries that idea. It's a writing of. Uh, Geneseos sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? For us. Uh, It has the sense of origin of or source or beginning of or or this idea of genealogy of. The next two words after Biblos Geneseos are Yeshua Christos. Yeshua. Yeshua is Jesus. By the way, it is a human name. It's a human name. My name is Doug. To address someone at this time, this person that he's writing about, it would be Jesus. It's a human name. It means Yahweh saves. That's cool. Christos, Christ, is a title. If you're new to the Bible, um, Jesus Christ was his human name. Christ is not his last name. It wasn't Joseph Christ, Mary Christ, Jesus Christ. It was, I mean, not literally, for some who are new to this, to where it's like, it's a title, It's telling of something. It's telling of something about this one named Yeshua. 
Whether Matthew intended for this kind of opening verse here to be covering just the genealogy of the first two chapters of the whole book, different thoughts kind of on all of that. We are entering into writing about Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ. And I might say it, the dragon slayer. So how does Matthew know that this Jesus is the promised Christ, is the Messiah. Well, it's so cool because he begins right off. I mean, Matthew's not like, hey, all you people who are like, get to the point, you love Matthew. Because Matthew's not doing any watery work in. He's just stating it on the table. A book of the genealogy, a record uh, of the origin of Jesus the Christ. And by the way, two pieces of data that are important to know on what Matthew puts right up front. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's just hit on each of those real quickly. Data item number one is he says it's the son of David. Jesus is the son of of David. Now, clearly, he's not uh, David, and then David begat uh, Jesus in that. Son means more than just the son of at the moment. Uh, David was the greatest of the kings of Israel. Um, he was the model king, and from David's line would come the Messiah king. In fact, Isaiah 9 says, For unto us a child is born. That's very familiar right now. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And then he goes on to say in Isaiah 9, Of the increase of his government, of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And D.A. Carson notes about this. Matthew's linking of Christ and the son of David leaves no doubt of what he is claiming for Jesus. Matthew starts right off. Yeshua is the Christos, the son of David. Know this. If he was not the son in the line of, but it's also a title, if he was not in the lineage of David, close the book, end of story, let's go home, because Jesus could not have even been the Christ without that piece of data on the table. And so he puts it right out there. He is the anointed one, and this is about now proof of that. A royal lineage, it's a royal title, son of David. That item number two is Jesus is not only the son of David, but the son of Abraham. In Genesis 12 and 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham uh, that from his offspring, from his line, there would be a great set-apart blessed nation would be established, and that nation would be a blessing to all nations. And so Matthew immediately ties Jesus to Abraham and the Abrahamic promise because if Jesus did not stand in the line of Abraham, then again, close the book, end of discussion, let's just go home because this Jesus could not be the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah that was talked about in the Old Testament. Paul says in Galatians 3.16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, and then he goes on to say, referring to Christ. Son of David, check. Son of Abraham, check. Carson again sums this up well. It says, uh, Jesus the Messiah came in fulfillment of kingdom promises to David and of the Gentile promises to Abraham. And Matthew's chief aims in including the genealogy are hinted at in verse one to show that Jesus Christ is truly in the kingly line of David. He goes on to say, heir to the messianic promises, the one who brings blessings to all Nations. By the way, 
That's the first sentence. Why would Matthew start that way? I think he's wanting to turn minds upside down and inside out. He's wanting to grab our attention. And we sometimes read this information in this day and age, and it kind of becomes a little Charlie Brown teacher talk. We've read it so many times. We've heard it so many times. And yet here, know this. This writing, this is about Jesus. The Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, in line with and title following, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You've got to pay attention to what I'm about to write. This book is about just no normal history dude. This isn't just about some other famous person in history. This is about the Christ, the promised one of God who would come and change everything. And he starts right off the bat trying to get our attention. And then he gives this, I'm gonna call it a strategic lineage list. I say strategic because it's not comprehensive. It's not comprehensive. In fact, some names or some branches of the tree are missing. And for us nowadays, especially if you're a genealogy geek, you're like, <gasps> freaking out about that. Wait a second, why would you leave someone out? Well, because in the day in ancient times, the goal was to t bring a tie, but the goal wasn't to give kind of, we're so an American world of just, you know, bullet points. We just want to have every name, move, 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 move. But Matthew is not actually including every name in the lineage list. He is showing the line, but he has proving and showing something else by the way he arranges all of this. And so some are left out. Like in the second group of names, uh, verse 6 and through verse 11, uh, he leaves out uh, Ahaziah and Joash or Amaziah. You all know them. And <laughs> just joking. <laughs> and they're not in there though. Um, but he's trying to do something with this list, and we'll hit it here in just a couple minutes. Let me do this. I am not. I am not, I am not going to go through each name and tell you a story about each. Because I don't think that's Matthew's point. This is oftentimes where it becomes a telling about them or just diving into these particular names. But listen, I think the names are the subheading under the big heading. See Jesus. Oh, by the way, here's the facts to prove that he's in the line of. From Abraham to David, to David, to him being born through Joseph and Mary. But I do want to make a couple observations. Observation number one. If I were to spend more time boring you with all of the people, there's a couple things that show out. Number one, the lineage list includes Jews and Gentiles. Now, to you and I, as generally in America here, when we all come together, this is a room full of Gentiles <laughs> for the most part. And so in this, we don't understand maybe quite the big ramification of that, but this is, uh, uh, includes Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles are in the lineage line of the Savior. 
And as we'll learn more about Matthew and who he's writing to, to the people reading this, they would want to keep the fact of Jesus' lineage line and having Gentiles in it, they would want to strategically leave that part out because why would you include back in their day? Why would you include dogs with the line of the Messiah? And Matthew, well, what was Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. Everybody say boo. Okay? If you're working with the IRS, we love you. <laughs> Most of the time. Um, Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jew, but a tax collector. Tax collectors in that day were viewed as, well, they were. They were working for the Roman government. And in that, as a result of that, they were viewed as a traitor. They were viewed as equal to a Gentile. Matthew was a Jew who was a tax collector. And I think Matthew goes through this list and gets hope. Gentiles are in this. Hey, friends, the Messiah has come, and Gentiles are in his line, and us Gentiles are encouraged by that. Secondly, the lineage list includes men and women. In fact, 40 men and four women. And note this, while not unheard of including women in a lineage list back in the day, in fact, the Bible has another few lineage lists that have women in it as well. It is unique. It is unique particularly to who Matthew is writing to. This former tax collector includes four women in this list. Three of whom, if maybe not all four of whom, are Gentiles. Discussion on exactly how that fits out. But for sure, some women are in there and some are Gentiles. I'm telling you, Matthew is starting out by putting some names in that is, call, that is causing the, the tried and true Pharisee of the day to be flipped upside down and inside out reading through this list. How could the Messiah have Tamar? How could the Messiah have Rahab? Why would you list them? Uh, I think Matthew is completely thrilled about it. It has men and women. And by the way, just out of that, Matthew unapologetically includes Gentiles and women in the family tree of the Messiah. And may I just say this? Turns racism and sexism upside down and inside out. Plus, third observation, turns religiosity upside down and inside out. Because the lineage list includes, I'll call them because it matches, saints and sinners. But it's the sinners part that is especially cool. It's the sinners part that is especially cool. For, for example, David, a man after God's own heart, the scripture says. Oh, and yet we know David was an adulterer, a murderer, and I might say a weak dad. Then we have Abraham. Abraham is in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. And Abraham, when under stress, would lie. 
Then we have Jacob. Jacob was a conniver. I'll just leave it at that right now. And you can go through the list. Solomon. Solomon had some issues. <laughs> and by the way, so did Tamar, Rahab. Men and women of great faith and of great courage and of great sin. And they are in the line of the Messiah who came for people just like that. Bailey says, with such a list, Matthew gives us clues about the kinds of people that the Messiah came to save. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, saints and sinners. And so the reader in Matthew's day, particularly the Pharisees and scribes, and frankly, most everybody else who was raised up in that day with what the thinking of the day is, they come to this list. For you and I, it's just kind of like wah, wah, wah. But they come to this list and they are shocked by what they read. And then I would suggest they come to verse 16 at the end. Of whom Jesus was born. It's kind of like an additional bam. Who is called Christ. Man, their minds must have been spinning. One commentator says it confirms that Jesus is truly and legally in the kingly line of David, heir to the messianic promises, the one who brings divine blessings to all nations, thus tying promise and fulfillment together. Friends, this list is a hope-filled list for you and I. And then he has his closing statement, verse 17. I don't think we can be dogmatic about it, but he's trying to do something here. Let me read verse 17. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were how many generations? And from David to the deportation to Babylon were how many generations? And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, how many? Matthew's trying to do something here. Uh, he is clearly, selectively kind of included it so it works out to 14, 14, 14. Uh, I'm just going to kind of cut to the chase. There's a number of thoughts about what Matthew's trying to do here, but clearly the readers in that day understood what Matthew was doing. Some say that uh, he's using the emphasis of 14 to highlight the 14 high priests from Aaron to the establishing of Solomon's temple. Others say it's the 14 high priests from the temple to Jadua, the last high priest that's named in scriptures. Others tie it to the mystic use of the number 14 to the Sadducean and Pharisaic traditions. And others suggest what I think is most likely that Matthew is just simply arranging this in the kind of a way so when you get down to the ed, end of the boring list, there's an exclamation point. 14, 14, 14. When you look at the name David in Hebrew numerically, it's 14. And I think at the end what 
Matthew is doing here. Again, I can't be dogmatic about it, but I think in this, he's kind of causing the reader who knows in that day something that matters to them. He started out with Jesus the Christ. First thing he says is the son of David. It's a royal lineage line connection. And he comes back to the end, and he's like, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And in it all, whatever's happening here, Matthew is trying to get the original readers to sink their eyes in this and hear it and get it. It's harder for us in our day because we're out of so much of the context of the history. But I would just say, because we know he's doing something, I ask us to be drawn into it and kind of go, man, he is starting off rocking people's boats. And by the way, he rocks them through the whole remaining book. So, Doug, you said there's something we can get out of this. Can you, like, give me something? I'm glad you asked for closing thoughts. Number one, I think reflecting on the royal lineage whets our appetite. I think it just whets our appetite. For these next six to seven months... We're going to be walking through this book. We're going to be walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And the way Matthew starts out for the original Jewish reader of the day who is heavy in the context of religiosity and traditions and that's what makes relationship with Yahweh, which it doesn't. He's trying to pull them in and grab attention and get their appetite wet that they might keep reading. Friends, what we're about to enter into in the coming months, this is not just some famous figure in history. I'll say that again. This is not just some famous figure in history. This is also not about some political upriser and irritator of his day. It is not about that. This is about something divine, something big, something that is tied to all of history. And it should rise within us. I want to know more. Because if this guy is who he says that he is, everything works off of that, including your and my life and what we're about. It whets our appetite. Secondly, I think it gives us hope. Our creator did not leave very broken people like those in the list and like all of us in this room who live in a very broken world. He did not leave us to suffer without any help or hope. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. It gives us hope. This is the dragon slayer, the Genesis 3, 1 that was promised that would come and would deal Satan a lethal blow, Genesis, or Revelation 12, who would make that blow final, culminating, eternity-ending blow, that one came. And because that one came, there's hope, friends. Turn on the news. It's hopeless. Open this. Hope. And hope 
and hope and hope. It whets our appetite. It gives us hope. Third, it gives us confidence. This whole Jesus thing is for real. No games. Why do I say it's for real? Because it's based even in history. All of these names are real people that really lived in real times that had babies. Real babies. And it's all connected. And God has used history over time giving prophecies and those are being and were fulfilled in the coming of Christ. And this gives us not just like a gee golly wish, I sure hope there's a Santa. I don't want to ruin it for any kids. But know this, there was a Christ and he came and he's alive today. And there's confidence in this. It's kind of like those beginning verses of 1 John where Matthew here is talking. John talked about, and Cody, Pastor Cody took you through, or, where it's like you know, John starts out and he says, I saw and I heard. I was there. I beheld. And I'm telling you what is true. For my own eyes, my own ears, my own mouth, I saw it. Bank on it. And this is kind of John's opening type of statement here for Matthew as well. Friends, this is no Santa wish. This is real. What's our appetite? It gives us hope, gives us confidence. And lastly, before we take communion, don't get ready for it yet. Servers, everybody else do. In reflecting... And out of the reflecting of the royal lineage, I think we're given cause to celebrate. Cause to celebrate. I mean, our appetites are primed, our hope is filled, confidence is being drilled in us, and we have every reason to celebrate because what God promised, it, promised in the very beginning, it is... It was fulfilled, and it is being fulfilled. And the hope of the Messiah that would come from the throne of David to, to slay the enslavement of the dragon, the slayer came and slayed him on the cross. And this birth is every reason to celebrate, friends. Whether it's by watching animated animals around it, or reading the Christmas story on Christmas Day, I want to tell you, I, I, I think it's in this, there is cause to celebrate that is far bigger than getting another Christmas present. It is better than new dishes, it is better than a new toy. In our house soon, it's, Lord willing, it's even going to be better than new carpet. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> and know this. If you know Christ is your Savior, you have been adopted into the royal line. If you've come to the place where you understand that you are a sinner separated from God and that he has come to die and pay the price for you and you have received the gift that he has done in your place, 
You have been made an adopted child of God. You are in the royal family. And that's worth celebrating. And so we're going to do that now. Communion servers, if you would get in place and prepare for us to take communion together. I really want for the the air, for the vibe going on here this morning as we take communion together, I really want for it to be a joyful feel right now. There are times for it to be a very self-examining time and kind of a sobering time, um, but, but I want for this time to be exuberant and celebratory, okay? So, so uh, work with me. So let's be exuberant, okay? Okay, we're getting there. And celebratory, okay? And, and if you're really uncomfortable with that right now, taking community, that's okay. But we're gonna celebrate anyway. Because the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, the promised Messiah, the Christ that was promised to come over generations and generations and hundreds and thousands of years, and it's like, go ahead and come on and get in place. And it's like, over time, it's like, oh, please God, when is the Messiah gonna come? And he came! And, and, and his coming is not just about being born. It is about being born in human so that he could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He stepped in the gap. He was the one who ultimately goes to the cross to pay the price. Imagine Philippians chapter 2, God in the flesh, crazy. And we celebrate that, right? And we rejoice in that. And if you know Christ as your Savior, oh, loved one, you have every reason to be amped up. And to come and take the bread and take the cup and come back to your seat and just thank God today. Thank God for what he has done. Thank God for what he has done. And so, Lord, we rejoice in who you are and we celebrate with every fiber in our being what you have done. We adore you. We worship you. For your glory, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.